Ain't nothing like the real thing, baby. That's what Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell gave us in 1968, and I think it's mostly true. There are some things where a substitute is, is fine, right? An off-brand product, something that's not quite what you're used to, it's, it's okay. And I, I think of cereal, toothpaste, paper towels, sometimes a different brand of water, or an associate pastor comes up and, you know, <laughs> let's not get carried away, right? There are definitely times when there is no substitute for the real thing. Several, many years ago now, when Melissa and I were first married, Christmas was coming and we went to the mall. And you know what happens when a couple goes to the mall right before Christmas, they, they point to things, right? And those little subtle suggestions, those hints, this would be nice. And we were walking through one store and she saw a purse that she really liked and she pointed to that purse. And I said, ah, I got you, got you. And being the wealthy youth pastor that I was, I went straight home and got online to see if I could get this thing at a bargain. Well, I came across one site. There it was, the same exact purse. And it was way cheaper than in the store. Now, I should have been tipped off by the fact that the fonts on the website, they were, they were a little funny. And, and, and the logo up at the top, it was kind of blurry. I, I should have been tipped off to that, and I should have just, you know, turn, closed that window and moved on to, to something more legit. But I pressed on towards that checkout cart, cart undeterred, and I clicked that button. Have you ever gotten one of those sick feelings like you made a huge mistake? Either I just gave my identity up or this thing's never going to come. But it did come. Several weeks later, in fact, right just in time for Christmas, the package came. And I'm like, oh, i got to open this thing right away. So I, I unboxed it and I got my money's worth. It was obvious. There were loose threads all over the place. The material, it felt more like tissue paper than, than real leather. And just the way it was packaged all together, it was just obvious. This was a phony. This was not the genuine article. Well, what am I going to do? I've only got a, a day or two left till Christmas. There's no way I can exchange. I don't even know if I could exchange it. So I packaged it back up, wrapped it, put it under the tree with a note that said, Merry Christmas. See how much I love you? The note actually didn't quite say that. I was a little bit more gracious, but she did open it up and went, ah, oh. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to have the real thing. But how do you keep yourself from being duped? I don't know how many times I've been online and just trying to figure out, is this the real thing that I'm going to purchase here? Or is this, is this a phony? Is this a, a fake? Am I getting my money's worth here? And retailers understand that, right? So they, they put labels on everything now. You know, 100% cotton or made in USA or genuine Toyota, Subaru, Datsun parts, or certified organic, grass-fed, you know, cage-free, read a bedtime story every night. It's almost getting a little bit out of hand. But it's a big deal. Why? Because we want the real thing. We want to get our money's worth. We don't want to be ripped off. We don't want to buy junk. And it goes beyond consumer products, doesn't it? We do this with relationships. We don't want just love. We want real love. 
right? We want something that's going to last, something that will fulfill us, something that we can treasure, a love that's going to surpass all other romances, but, you know, go easy on the pocketbook. And so we scour the blogs, we look for, you know, those five things to be sure that it's, it's the real thing, it's the real deal. We spent countless hours, you know, talking it through with friends. We postpone marriage, take every possible aspect of that relationship for a test drive to, because we want to be sure this is the real thing. Why? Because man, people have seen how much hostility there is, how much abuse and anger that exists in marriages today. And so many, so many young people, man, they've, they've experienced firsthand the pain of divorce. They know that if, if I make a wrong decision here, it could be disastrous. Ain't nothing like the real thing. We need the genuine article. But the funny thing is, it, it almost blows my mind that when it comes to products, yes. When it comes to relationships, yes. When it comes to our faith, eh, we're probably good. We're probably okay. We prayed that prayer. I raised my hand back in Adventure Week. And we don't seem to give much thought at all as to whether or not it's the real thing. I, I don't think there's any greater deception that's, that's more dangerous than to be confident that your faith is the real thing when it's not. As I was studying this passage, I was, I was just thinking, thinking, putting myself where you are and, and thinking, this might be kind of offensive. I might be a little tempted to, to, to feel uncomfortable, to feel offended by this passage. I mean, James is suggesting, and Jared is suggesting, that maybe my faith isn't real. So for fear of, of, of offending and turning some people away, a lot of people will just, they'll, they'll either do, make some serious edits here, try to take the sting out of the passage, or we'll just push this one to the side, and, and we'll move on with the rest of James. And there, the proof is in the, in the methodology is, is their sanctuaries are full, full of people on the edge of their seats just, just waiting to hear how I'm okay. Tell me I'm okay. Tell me everything's fine. Boost my self-esteem. And tell me, just, 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 just tell me how I can make my life better. Now, how can I be a little bit more financially secure? Or, you know, I've, I'm dealing with this health issue. How can I find out how to, how to get rid of this? How can I be more satisfied in my relationships? But as I see it, and I'm positive James would agree, serving up only the appetizing parts of truth and leaving the less palatable ones back in the kitchen well, that's one of the worst things that a pastor could possibly do. One of the cruelest things I think a pastor can do. If my doctor didn't tell me how bad my condition was because he didn't want to offend me or, or he didn't want me to feel bad, if he just came to me and said, you know what, I got a couple pills here, take a couple of these and you'll be fine, when what I really needed was like an aggressive cocktail of agonizing chemotherapy, if that's what my doctor was going to do, that's not the kind of doctor I need. That's not going to help me. In the same way, if our churches lead anyone to believe that they can be confident that they're, they're going to heaven when they should not be confident. 
if there's a chance that the faith that we think we have is not the real deal, then we really need to know, don't we? Really need to know. This is more than a matter of life and death. This is a matter of our eternal destination. Thank God James doesn't beat around the bush. He gets right to it. He wants to show us what false faith looks like. False faith, it's empty and it's alone. He says, what good is it in verse 14? What good is it, my brothers, certainly sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? James is speaking to fellow Jewish Christians, and he says, if someone says he has faith, in other words, if someone professes faith, they say, you know what, I'm a believer too, I fit right in with you guys, I'm one of you. And they say they believe. Well, what do they believe? Well, we'd assume that they believe some of the basics of the Christian faith, right? That God is one God, three persons, one God. The Bible is God's Word. Jesus is the Son of God. He came as a substitute for us, died in our place on the cross, but rose from the grave three days later. Okay, that's good. That, that's really good, right? That's, that's essential, it's so important to believe that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, Paul and Silas said to the jailer. This person James is talking about says, I believe. It reminds me of several years ago, I was at the, uh, the corner bakery down the street here on La Paz, and I was sitting across from a friend, and I was sharing with him just basics of the gospel. And as I got near the, the end of what I was sharing, he stopped me, and he just says, yeah, 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 I, I, I got all that. I believe all of that. And I wasn't relieved. I was struggling to believe that his belief was real because something was missing. Something just wasn't right, and that's exactly what James is getting at here. It's possible to say that you believe in Jesus and not have saving faith. Well, what's the reason, James? Why would you question the genuineness of someone's faith? It's missing something. See, it doesn't have works. It's not doing what it should be doing. It's not producing what real faith should be producing. Well, what's it supposed to be producing, James? Well, he's been explaining that. The last several Sundays, we've been looking at it. Remember, he said, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Okay, so what is faith that does something, what does that look like? Well, he pointed things out. Endurance. Perseverance under trial. Living a life of purity. Being obedient to Scripture. Having compassion for those in need. Being impartial. In our passage today, acting in compassion. James is, is saying, if, if a person doesn't have evidence of this type of transformation in their life, they're not producing these kind of good works, then does that person really have faith? And by the way he's asking the question, we're led to, to his answer, aren't we? The answer he's getting at is, no, no, that's not the kind of faith that will save we got to hold on here and just pause and recognize the gravity of what he's saying. He's leading us to understand that there are people who believe that they're right with God, that their sins have been forgiven, they have nothing to worry about, and they will without a doubt go to heaven. And James is suggesting 
They're totally duped. They're totally duped. Can you imagine the horror of getting to the end of your days and standing before the righteous judge and and totally expecting to, to be given a pass and to walk through those gates, and instead he leans down and says, guilty. It's like being given a gift card, and you go to the burrito place, and you stand in line, and you're at the counter, you're like, I want that in my burrito, I want the beans, I want the rice, I want this kind of meat, I want that salsa, I'll even go for the guacamole, I got my gift card here. And you go up to the counter, it's all wrapped up in that nice little foil, you pull out the card, they run it through, and there's nothing on it. And you get that red face feeling, you know, the tingly all over your body, and you hope no one's looking, hope no one noticed, and like, okay, and then you reach for your wallet, and you realize, I don't have any cash. My cards are maxed out. It's kind of like that, but infinitely worse, because the thing you're missing out on isn't one meal out of the 21 that you're going to have that week. It's your entire future, a future that'll go on and on and on into eternity. How tragic that would be. That's one of the reasons I think that it's so important for churches to be so careful when it comes to their membership and who they allow to become members of their church. Think about it. You become a member of a church, you're being affirmed by the leadership and the rest of the congregation that you are indeed a person who is believing and has evidence that your faith is genuine saving faith. I mean, so, so what we do here at Christ Community is we, we look at the testimony of that person, and then we, we ask them, do you, do you understand the gospel? And we walk through the different points of the gospel and make sure, okay, do you really understand what the gospel is all about? And then we look at the evidence in their life. Is there any evidence that the, this is a life that's actually had transformation in it? Not perfection, but some evidence of transformation. And if all that checks out, then you're welcomed in as a member of the body. And what a wonderful thing it is to be among people who affirm that you are going. You are part of the body of Christ. Oh, what a wonderful thing that is. And to be in this body where you're encouraged and uplifted and and also critiqued. You know, we look at church discipline so often as just a negative thing something that we would never want to have happen to us. When it does happen, it just, it's crushing. It's painful. And yet, church discipline is a safeguard for our souls. It's there to alert you and to prevent you from, from buying into false assurance that your salvation is real. Man, if there's ever something in my life that you see and and you just let it go and you don't mention it to me, man, that's not what I want to happen. I want the exact opposite. You see something in my life that gives evidence of the fact that I don't have saving faith, I need you to address it. I need you to go to Pastor Rick. I need you to come directly to me. It's just whatever it takes, you come to me and you let me know because I don't want to get to the end and realize I could have known Man, I'll go through any kind of, of, of embarrassment, any type of, type of criticism, public humiliation. That's far better than realizing my faith was not genuine. What a horrible thing it is when churches lead people to believe that they have saving faith when there's clearly reason to believe that it's not saving faith. Membership and church discipline those are gifts. 
Those are gifts to us. And you see, James isn't being cruel here. He's doing really one of the most loving things a Christian can do, other than actually share the gospel for the first time. He's, he's helping Christians see whether or not they should actually consider themselves Christians, whether or not they have saving faith or false faith. You see, you can profess that you have faith as loud as you want. You can wear all the Christian t-shirts. You can have all the seat, well, MP3, the digital copies of music now. Uh, you can go to all the Bible studies. You can attend all the church services. You can know all the right stuff. You can know Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic and have read all of Jonathan Edwards and still not have faith that produce, produces works. And if that's the case, you should seriously question What's going on in my life? Is my faith real? You see, a profession of faith is empty and alone if it doesn't have good works along with it. And you might say, you might say, whoa, what about salvation through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone? Sola fide, sola gratia, sola Christus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And you're right. You're totally right. We can't stress this enough. There's absolutely nothing that a person can do to earn their salvation. There's nothing. The only way a person can be made right with God is by what Jesus did on the cross. God gets all the credit for it. We get the blessing for it. In fact, if I try to add anything to what Christ did by trying to earn it somehow, feeling like, yeah, yeah, he, what he did on the cross was great, but I need to do all, you know, this, 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 and this, well, then I'm taking away from what he did. And I, I'm devaluing the sufficiency of Christ, and I'm not really trusting him. I'm placing that trust right back on myself, right? Salvation is given only through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. But just as true is that salvation that God gives us never leaves us the way we were. God said in Ezekiel 36, 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, as God washes us clean from our sin, he also does a work on the inside. He changes out our old, dead, hard hearts, and he replaces them with soft, beating, living, sensitive ones to his, to his will. He puts in us a spirit that gives us not only the desire, but also the ability to actually do things that please him. In other words, when God saves you, he doesn't leave you the same. And that's not to say that the moment you trust in Jesus that you're perfect. You're not. But at the same time, it's impossible for someone who has saving faith to remain the same as they were before Christ. It's impossible. Paul says it himself. With 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There's a change that's occurred. 
And not only has a change occurred, but there's something different that's supposed to flow out of this change. That's what he hits on in in Ephesians 2.10. We already read verses 8 and 9. By grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that none may boast. But then he continues. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So clearly, there's a result that follows. There's a call to which we've been entrusted. There's a fruit that is expected to be produced. And it's not some kind of payment in return. Not like, you know, God gave us this. He gave us the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, and now we have to somehow earn it and pay for it. It's not that. You could never do enough good works to pay for what Christ has done for you. But just as you plant and water a fruit tree, expecting that it's going to produce fruit. So what Christ has done in us is supposed to result in produce. And Paul said it in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so on. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So good trees, they produce good fruit. It's not that the tree has to look at itself and says, hmm, I'm a tree, I better start producing. I I really need to, right? There's no like huge amount of effort. It's a tree, it's watered, it's nourished, it produces fruit, that's what it does. Jesus says if they're good, they produce good fruit. The fruit is a product of their nature. And in the same way, good works are a product of a believer's new nature. Good fruit, that's how you recognize a good tree. Good works are one of the ways that you recognize a person who has saving faith. I like what John Calvin said. It is faith alone that justifies. But faith that justifies can never be alone. It can't because it's not. The two go hand in hand. False faith is empty and alone. And that's really the, the main point of this entire passage. We, we could stop there and probably be good, but, but James goes on. And the next two, they could be subpoints, but, uh, you know, let's not bicker and complain about that. False faith, it's empty and alone. False faith also lacks genuine compassion. Look at verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We're emotional beings, right? We're feeling beings. Some of the men out there, if you're like Lego Batman, you don't want to admit that. But it's true. And Pastor Tim and I, I think we're kind of the same on this. When it comes to that part of the movie where... The, the sun dies, 
with a couple hugs and the music starts fading up. I was watching Homeward Bound, an old Disney movie with my, my daughter recently, and it's about two dogs and a cat, and it is, they, they finally find their way home, and they come running out on the lawn, and the kids are there, and they're just like, oh, Shadow, I love you! And they're hugging, the music's playing. I don't like pets, not at all. I have no feeling for pets, and yet I'm crying as these dogs are being embraced by these kids, and it's wrecking me on the inside. How is it that I can be moved to tears by, by a dog being reunited with his, his owner? I could be so moved by a story, by a song. I, I can hear of, of tragedy happening across the globe and just be mm, hurting inside. Or I hear of the injustice that's happening on the other side of the country. How can, how can I, I, that resonate within me? And yet at the same time, I can be so cold and insensitive as to not be moved to action when my neighbor or, or a relative or, or an acquaintance is in need. James says, if you have opportunity to help someone in need, they need something as simple as clothing or food. And if you don't help them, instead you say, go in peace, which is kind of, kind of like saying, God bless you. Or be warm and filled, kind of like, take care, have a nice day. He says, what good is that? It's not good at all. And in fact, it's worse than good. It, it's insulting. Take care of yourself. Don't you think they would have done that if they could? And he writes, so faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So the comparison here, what good is compassion if it does nothing, nothing more than stir feelings? What good is that? Is that genuine compassion? No. You don't really care. Well, you're human, and so something resonates inside, and you feel, you have an emotional response, but you don't really care. If you cared about someone's needs and you had the ability to help, well, then you know what follows. If you don't help them when you can, then don't claim to have genuine compassion. That's the argument he's giving here. In the same way, if your life isn't characterized by good works, if there's no demonstration of change, there's no turning from selfishness, a hatred of evil, an increasing passion for good, a genuine Christ-like compassion that gladly puts the good of yourself uh, to the side and upholds the good of others, if that's not happening, James says, your faith is dead. It's not the kind of faith that you need. If this is kind of the faith that you have, then, then why even bother? Just like if, if this is the kind of compassion you have, it, it just you, you feel an emotional response, why even have it? You might as well just get rid of it and just you know, go on your merry way. You're not going to do anything anyway. And if your faith isn't affecting any type of change in your life, well, then what good is that? You're just deceiving yourselves. Jesus said this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? This is Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. 
But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. We've got to be so careful, don't we, not to fool ourselves with false confidence because it's clear where that's going to lead. At the same time, we need to be careful not to do this for the sake of others. We're doing others a disservice. They're looking at us. And if we're practicing this false kind of faith, they're saying, yeah, oh, that's what a genuine Christian looks like? Oh, I guess I'm good. And we're passing on false assurance to them. And not only that, we're, we're saying something to the world, aren't we? Oh, yes, I, I go to church and I sing songs and I do the thing. I wear the label Christian on my back. And all they see is hypocrisy. All they see is finger pointing. I don't like this. Because it, it sounds harsh. It sounds like something that yeah, just... In the world we live in today, where we've got to make sure that everyone feels good, it's just not something that should be said. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I like that. That's good. I, merciful, show mercy, I'll be shown mercy. On another occasion, he also said that there will come a day when he'll say to those who did not show compassionate acts of kindness, he'll say, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And they'll say, wait a second, what are you talking about? And he'll answer them saying, truly, say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And the takeaway is this. If, if you're a professing Christian whose life is not characterized. I'm not saying all the time. I'm not saying every single opportunity, but there's not a change inside that, that, that inclines you towards compassionate acts of kindness. We need to be careful. We may not have the faith that we think we have. And does that mean you have to be perfect to maintain your salvation? Certainly not. Jesus came to die for your sins past present and future, before faith and after faith. Once you and I are in Christ, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8. There are times when we'll stumble, times when we'll fall, times when we give into temptation, times when we're unfaithful, times when we don't respond to the call uh, on our lives to act. But if, our, if we have saving faith, then salvation is totally secure. The question is, do we have saving faith? That's the thing. You see, there's a difference between security of my salvation and the assurance of my salvation. There's a difference, isn't there? If you have saving faith in Christ, you do have saving faith, then your salvation is totally secure. There's no chance that what the Spirit has applied to your life can be undone. Paul said to the Ephesians, he said, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed 
with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our salvation until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So if I heard the good news, and I really believed the good news, believed in Christ, I'm in. But can I really be sure that I really believed? And that I really do have this saving faith. If, if my life is producing the fruit of the Spirit and I'm living in obedience to God, well, I have reason to be confident, don't I? I see something going on. People see something going on inside of me. They, they say, yeah, there's something different about you. Something has changed. You were going your own way before. You were doing your own thing. You didn't care about anyone or anything but yourself. And now you've changed. But what about those times when I'm not? I have those times, many. What about those times when I'm not? Should I be confident? When I find myself struggling with something over and over and over again, what if I came to the point where I said, you know, I, I'm never going to be over this. Just going to, you know, I just need to kind of manage it. Just make sure it doesn't get too bad. What if I kind of come to grips with my sin and just say, you know, not everybody's perfect. I had a friend uh, share that with me in, in high school, and, and he, he thought I was some type of goody-good. And he's like, you know, Jared, why don't you cuss, man? Why don't you cuss? I'm like, well, you know, because I'm a Christian. He's like, not everybody's perfect. I'm a Christian. You know, you can't, you know, do everything 100% all the time. You know, just give in. Sometimes we just make excuses for our sins and love to be just content with it and satisfied. The great Puritan theologian John Owen wrote, about those who continue in sin. This is sobering. He said, He that is so entangled is under the power of corruption and has no clear evidence of participating in the grace of God. Such a one cannot claim any assurance that he is delivered from destruction. Destruction from the Lord should be an appropriate fear for him. Such a one should seriously consider this to be the end of his course and ways there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. True, but who shall have the comfort of this promise? Who can, acclaim, who can claim it for themselves? And he answers, those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, don't, don't be so sure. Don't be so sure that you feel like you can just go your merry way and do your thing. He forgave it. It's, it's good. I'm fine. Let's lighten up. Owen says, don't be so sure. You know, being a youth minister for so many years, I've seen so many students, and even some in our student ministry right now, where they'll make a profession, but by their lives, man, I really question what's going on there, if anything's going on there. And yeah, they're young, and yeah, sometimes it's just seeds of faith that are starting to sprout, and, and, and we're going to see things develop, and you know, you get around to junior, senior year of high school, and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, there it is. I see the change that's happening in their life. But for so many others, I just, I'm concerned, I'm concerned. Uh, maybe they shouldn't be so confident. And they say, well, you know, I grew up in the church. I've been here all my life. You know, my parents are Christians, all that. Yeah, 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 that's all good. But is there evidence of change in your life? 
I don't think you should be so sure. You think about this. What do we do when we find ourselves in the midst of failure? What do we do at that moment when we realize, oh my gosh, I have, there's, I realize there's a pattern of sin going on here, and I, what, do I, what do I do? Maybe my faith isn't what it should be. Maybe I have reason to be uncertain. What do I do? Well, you, you do this. You fall on your knees. You don't take sin lightly. You recognize this, this is something that Jesus went to the cross for. What I just did, what I've been doing, this is, he went to the cross for this. This, this, is, this separated me from God. This incurred God's wrath upon my life. This is not such a small, this is not a little small, insignificant deal. It's not a little white one. It's, 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 it doesn't matter how big it was. It's, it's huge, and it has the same effect. This was sin. And acknowledge it. Fall to your knees, acknowledge it, and confess it. That's what 1 John 1.9 says. This was not right, Lord. And as you confess it, you look to the cross and you remember, this is what Jesus died for. And he forgave this one and the one prior to that and the one prior to that and so on and so forth. And if there's one in the future, if I stumble, he's forgiven that too. But thank you, Lord, for what you have done for me. And then you worship. God, you were unbelievably good to me. And that in itself is evidence of saving faith, isn't it? The Spirit convicted your heart, led you to repentance, turned you around, made you desire to be made right with God. Oh, man, they're so good. The problem for so many is the absence of any type of conviction, right? They may claim, yeah, you know, I'm here at church. I'm one of us. There's no conviction. If we march confidently on in our sin, unrepentant, unremorseful, without any consideration of whether or not we've disobeyed God, or, or maybe, you know, have we been unkind to someone who's made in God's image, or have we been cold and compassionless towards others? Maybe we think we're, we're just fine. It's all good. We prayed a prayer once. We got our ticket in, to heaven. I'm getting through the gates. We think we're all good. If that's us, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. We have a seriously bad case of false assurance, of false faith. And that leads us to the, the end here. False faith is empty and alone. False faith lacks genuine compassion. And false faith, it merely assents. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? James says there may be some who say, eh, you have faith, but you know I have works, or vice versa. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like a gift, like you've been given the gift of faith. That's just, you know, God's enabled you to have this amazing faith where, you know, over here someone else has works. And, you know, don't intermingle the two. Don't say that one has to have the other or vice versa. And, and James says, no, 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 no. These are inseparable. They always go together. He says, show me your faith apart from your works. You say you have faith? Well, prove it to me. Show me. Silence. I got nothing. I can, I can say it till I'm blue in the face, but I, I can't show you my faith. 
James says, I can show you my faith. It's by my works. You see? You see the change in my life? You see the fruit that I'm producing? Just like Jesus said, a good tree produces good fruit. You know a tree by its fruit. See the fruit in my life? Yeah. We've all heard the phrase, talk is cheap. Put your money where your mouth is. Because we can't just rely on someone's word. We need to see proof. We need to see the evidence. James says, if you, if you can't show your faith by a change in your life, by the produce of your life, then I don't think you should put confidence in your faith. Like my friend that day at the restaurant. He claimed, yeah, I believe it. But there was no evidence. I pray that there, there is evidence in his life and that the Lord is working in his life, but I certainly wasn't sure then. So you can have right theology. James says, you believe that God is one? He's pointing to the great Shema, the core of the Jewish faith. It's like a professing Christian saying, Christ is God, right? It's important. It's huge. And James says, you do well. I think he's being sincere, but I also think he's being sarcastic. Because you can believe all the right things, yeah, good for you, but that doesn't mean that you have this saving faith. Good theology, it's better than bad theology, but merely agreeing is not what saves you. He says the demons believe. Demons know right theology. They acknowledge there's one true God. They believe that the Bible is God's word. They're very much aware Jesus is the Son of God. They're aware of what Jesus went to the cross for. They know where Jesus is at right now. And I have no doubt in my mind that demons have a better understanding of theology than even some of the smartest scholars out here today. But that doesn't give them salvation. In fact, their proof that it's possible to know all the right things and not be right with God. James says they shudder. That's more than some people do, right? They know what it means to be on God's bad side, and it terrifies them. And so many people that we see are walking around with no concept of what's going on. They're just going their merry way, doing their thing. I'm not accountable to anyone. No understanding of what it means to be under a holy God. What a foolish thing to say. Yeah, yeah, I, I know all the right stuff. To merely assent to the truth and then go on living your life as if you don't really believe it. James says at the end of our passage, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Do you, do you really need more? Isn't it obvious? Do you need more evidence that faith apart from works doesn't work? What more do you need? Ain't nothing like the real thing. We hate being duped. We hate being duped. We want the genuine article, the certified product, the real deal. Let's not allow ourselves or others to be fooled into thinking that false faith is real. Let's examine our faith, see if it has evidence of being alone and empty, or if it lacks genuine compassion. Or if it's merely an assent to right beliefs. Anything other than genuine, soul-transforming, heart-transforming, work-producing faith is useless false faith. Lord, we, we are humbled by this passage. I know I am humbled. And 
So many times the last week I've had to ask myself, what's going on inside? And where am I at? And why am I reacting this way? And why am I offended by this or that? Lord, examine our lives today. Help us to consider whether or not what we have going on inside, whether or not that's genuine. Lord, I thank you for James. I thank you for how blunt he was. I thank you for how clear things are in this passage. And I thank you and pray, Lord, that you would work inside of us producing works that demonstrate to to each other here that there is indeed a transformation that has taken place, that there is indeed evidence of saving faith. Lord, but if if there is not... Lord, if there is something in me, something in the rest of us, Lord, that that needs to change and we're not aware of it, Lord, let us not be the kind of people that just say, oh, well, you know, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to correct anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody. Let's not be those people. But Lord, may in love we come beside one another and point these things out that we might be course correct fall on our knees confessing our sin and looking to the cross and thanking and praising you for what you have done and then marching forward in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. What an incredible thing that you have done for us. We thank you for that and pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.